All right, here we go. So, um, so yeah, let me, first of all, we got James Avery up here with us this morning. He's one of our elders and fantastic guy. We're really honored to have him in our leadership team and, and, uh, what he contributes is, is really amazing. And, and, uh, just, just love that he's one of our elders. He also is a, um, um, fourth grade teacher in Vacaville. And so, so pray for him. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then we have Jesse Besagini, who's our church office manager. And uh, we intentionally, uh, she's amazing too, we intentionally call her office manager because she's so much more than uh, a secretary. She really runs this place. Um, and, and so if anything goes wrong, it's her fault. So... <laughs> <laughs> so no, she does a great job. And I was saying in the last service that she really kind of serves, uh, because of her role as kind of the, uh, triage nurse to pastoral care. You know, I mean, she really is that first line for a lot of people when, when things are going, uh, weird in your life. Uh, oftentimes she's the first one to hear about it. And, and she either points you in the right direction or she does a really good job of helping you herself and, and, uh, appreciate all the work that she does. So I invited them to be up here with me today because I really wanted to emphasize as we dig into answers to some of your questions um, that you don't have to just go to pastors for answers, that um, as long as you are walking in the spirit and, and submitting to the word of God, you can find the same answers that a pastor can. And, uh, you know, the same information is available to you as is to me. The same God is available to you as is to me. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm happy that they're joining me. Uh, this morning. All right. So, okay, this is going to be tricky. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is a, this is a tricky one. So how is the literal name of Jesus powerful? Explain how a physical word can have such power attached. That's an interesting question. I know. We're going to pass on that one. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> All right. No, it's a great question. It's um, I, I can't I can't stay seated. I'm sorry. Um, so you know the Bible speaks. And Jesse's looking up. She's she's uh, looking up scripture right now that I'm sure she'll share with us. But the Bible does speak regularly about the power that's in the name of Jesus. Uh, that in that name. Uh, uh, lives were healed and uh, demons were cast out and, um, you know, things like that, that there's power in that name. And I think equally power in the name of God as well. I mean, you look in the Old Testament, there was such power and reverence attached to the name of God, which, which is Yahweh, that most of the time, our, the Bible doesn't, like our English Bibles don't even say Yahweh. If you see LORD in all caps, that word is actually Yahweh. They translate it differently because there was just such reverence around that name that they didn't want to abuse that name. And so with the name of Jesus, there's such power attached to it. And I think that for me anyway, when I speak the name of Jesus over a situation, it's me recognizing that there is power beyond myself. That if there's a situation that is too big for me, I serve a God that, whom nothing is too big for. Um, and so to call out that name is, is, is to me to live in submission to a power greater than myself and just say, God, I'm going to get out of the way and let you handle this because you're big enough to handle this and, and not so much me, right? So that's my thought about that. You guys have different thoughts? The only thing I would add is that there's scriptural belief that his name is powerful, that can do 
amazing things. But, you know, obviously, um, it's not just the name. It's the actual Jesus. I mean, there are many people named Jesus. But this particular Jesus is what we're talking about here, right? <laughs> we're talking about, it's not about the name. It's about what he's done for you and me. Yeah. Good. You have anything yet? All right. Good. Not good that you have nothing to add, but it's good. All right. Uh, what's the best way to rebuke a fellow believer when they've strayed? All right. So that's a tricky question, too, because a rebuke carries a lot of weight around that word. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to be known as the rebuker. Oh, that Jeff, he's such a great rebuker, you know, like, <laughs> like, but the scripture does tell us to rebuke our brothers and sisters when they, when they stray. And so uh, what does that look like for, like, if, if you notice one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, kind of going down a, a dangerous path, what does rebuking them look like to you? I'll let you guys go first. Well, um, it has to be done in love, first mm. of all. If you ever uh, try to help anyone, if you try to do it without love, Good luck. Uh, you're not going anywhere, period. People don't want to hear it. People, There's enough critics in this world, right? Uh, too, way too many critics. So if you're going to do it, make sure you do it with love and you do it with uh, Scripture in mind. You know, you, you, all wisdom comes from God. If you think you're smarter than he is, you've got to take another look at that because uh, that is where real, true wisdom comes. So if you want to give advice, start there. Yeah, that's good. So I wanted to read Matthew 15. No, not Matthew. Matthew, where did that go? 18. 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, which is not great. Um, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, I would like to point out that to be in a position to approach this person one-on-one, -on -one, there's an implication of a relationship a loving relationship with this person, it is really easy to stand on the outside. And we do this all the time with celebrities, like in our culture that, oh, I can't believe what they did. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what that person did? When you get to know people, it's a little easier to go, ah, oh, actually, I do kind of understand why they did that. Because when you understand their background and where they came from, all of a sudden, you have a little more compassion for the decisions that they make based on where they've come from, if that makes a little bit of sense. So... I would agree that, yes, we should not be quick to be the rebukers. Nobody likes that guy. Um, but I do think that there's a biblical kind of procedure that if there's a real issue in someone's life, I can go, hey, James, you're doing this. And if he's not going to listen to me, then I might bring in a couple friends and be like, look, dude, intervention time, we really need to deal with this. And then if he's still not listening, and, you know, again, we're talking about clearly defined black and white sin issues that we're rebuking somebody on. People are free to make a lot of choices in their life. But it's got to be a pretty big issue, I think, for you to approach someone this way. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it, it is just keeping in mind that um, 
a, re- a rebuke does not have to be rude. That it is, it is, it's actually an act of love. Again, we have baggage around that word rebuke, but it's just simply going to a person and just saying, hey, look, I know I'm nowhere near perfect, and you got things that you could probably talk to me about in my life, but I just see this going on in your life, and I love you, and I'm concerned, and, and uh, maybe yeah, sharing some scripture with them, maybe, or just saying, hey, you know, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Because uh, maybe, maybe there's something going on you know, that if you knew what was going on in their life, it might shed some light on why they're making the choices that they're making or, you know, whatever. So it's just reaching out in love. To, to ignore someone you see driving off a cliff is not love, right? That's not love. And we want to, you know, that's why one of our, our core values here is that uh, we will, uh, we're, we're an honest-to-goodness family, and we will uh, love each other, and we'll point each other to Jesus even when it's hard, even when it's hard, because that's what love looks like. And so uh, the, the, I think the key is to do it extremely prayerfully because, you know, you just want to make sure that your words are received in the manner in which you want them to be received. And so you, you kind of got to, you know, get yourself out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to kind of speak through you and, you know, do that sort of thing. Good question, though. All right. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one either. Okay, I'm not, okay. So here's a question that is just, oh, I hate, it. okay. So the question is, can women be pastors? And I hate you for writing it down on a card. Um, yes. so, so here's the deal. Uh, let me just, let me dive into this and just say that um, this is actually a, a topic, like women in church leadership, it's a topic that, the elder board visits occasionally in depth. We really, we really try to, you know, once in a great while we'll bring it up and talk about it and, and kind of debate back and forth about it and that sort of thing. Um, and so if you're new to church land, um, let me kind of give you some context in that there is, uh, you know, you've, there are some churches that you can go to that have no problem with women being in any level of leadership in the church from, you know, from, lead pastor to elder or deacon to, you know, teachers to, to whatever. No, no problem at all. And then there are other churches who, um, who, you know, in an effort to be faithful to Scripture, limit certain areas of leadership that women can be involved in. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you how historically it's played out in our church, okay? In our church... Um, we love and appreciate and want to elevate uh, all the women in their giftedness and, and as much as we possibly can. Um, we do read the qualifications for elder in Scripture that are found in uh, the letters to Timothy and then to Titus as well in the New Testament. And uh, we see in those qualifications that uh, an elder should be a man. Uh, and it's not just a random thought that, you know, it's not some sort of, you know, he-man, woman-haters club. It's tied to this idea that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 of kind of headship both in the family and as it's demonstrated in the church as well. And so, there, and so as we as elders... Now, let me, let me, let me, go, let me just say this. And in terms of our view of, say, other churches who make different decisions than us, we don't judge them. We don't, you know, whatever. 
Uh, each church has to make the decision that they feel is best for them and most faithful to their reading of Scripture. And so uh, where we stand right now is that um, women can serve and lead in any capacity uh, except that of elder. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a, we, we believe that scripture does reserve that, uh, for, for men. Um, however, we go out of our way to invite the, um, the feedback, the viewpoints, the, uh, you know, whatever of, of the women in our church. So as not to lead in, in a very kind of lopsided male oriented view all the time. Um, and so you'll see women around this place leading in, in a lot of different capacities as staff members, as, as uh, teachers in, in different settings. And, and, um, um, and so, you know, we're, we're mostly comfortable with that. There is debate, again, uh, I will say this is an issue in our elder board that we are actively still in conversation about, and there's not enough, cons- on certain areas of it, there's not... A, um, a strong enough consensus that we could present a a model moving forward to you all, and so we're very committed to unity, and and we would not want to let any issue damage that unity, and so we would rather, for now, defer some decisions on that rather than damage the unity of the church, and so um, so that's kind of where we are as an elder board. We're like I said, in conversation about it a lot. There's, there's a lot you can study about it. There's a lot you can, uh, you know, and, there's, and, and here's, the, here's the deal. There's, there's strong biblical arguments on both sides of this issue. Um, and so, which makes it such a complex issue. And I promise you, and this is what I promise you, from at least from, I can only speak about our leadership. From the leadership of our church, our hesitancy has nothing to do with women. Our hesitancy has to do with being faithful to the Word of God. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, there's nothing about us that looks at women and goes, "Yeah, we don't see how that would work well." You know, it's, that's not the issue. Our hesitancy strictly comes from wanting to be faithful to God's Word and wanting to lead well in that way. Is that fair? Beautifully said. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, that's, there's, there's different layers to this question, and um, yeah, yeah, thanks, I appreciate that. Yeah. By the way, I, I think I know who submitted this question that says, why is Pastor Phil so good looking? Um, anywho. <laughs> um, so now, okay, so th- then it comes down to t- that, that particular, it comes down to title, all right? Um, the word pastor actually isn't even in the Bible. That's our word. Uh, the Bible uses the word elder, overseer, deacon, or deaconess, and uh, it used the word shepherd. And shepherd and overseer seem to be synonymous words. Um, and so... The word, our word pastor is kind of a Latin take on that word for shepherd, if that makes any sense. Um, and so really it comes down to title. Can a woman, can a woman, can a woman, can a woman bear the title of pastor? Um, and 
I, I don't want to give an answer that is, um, that unless, unless I feel like I have unity from the elder board, because I don't want to speak outside of the elder board, because as a member of that board, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a leader in that board, but I like to say I'm a lead among equals. We speak with the same voice. And until we come to a consensus, I don't necessarily want to, from the stage, set precedent that is not, it does not respect that consensus of that board and the unity of that board. And so, uh, so I, you know, for some of that, like I said, we are actively wrestling with it. We want to do the right thing. We want to be, we want to lead in a way that's honoring, honor, honoring to scripture and also in a way that's honoring to, uh, our church. And, and, and we promise you we are working hard on that. And if we, if the day comes when we feel like we have settled the matter, we would, we will gladly and joyfully submit that to you and, and let you know, you know, how we feel. And we, and by the way, we welcome your, um, input on that as well. If you, if you, as long as your input is based on scripture, uh, if, if you, if you have thoughts about, uh, how that should be interpreted, then by all means, shoot us an email and let us know whatever. And, uh, and we'll, we'll go. So yeah, I mean, the pastor thing really goes back to, it's a title in the church. Uh, it's not necessarily even a biblical title, but I think most of us, when we think of pastor, we think of what the Bible is talking about in terms of shepherd. And, you know, so again, it's, 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 I wish I could give you a firm answer, but I just, without unity on the board on that issue, I, I can't, if that makes sense. Yeah, please. I'll add the female perspective. Just do it silently. If I'm allowed to. Silently. If I'm allowed to. Just teasing. Just teasing. Go ahead. Two things. First of all, as Jeff said before, there's there's room for difference of opinion yeah. on many issues. And again, that there are churches that would say absolutely yes. There are churches that would say absolutely no. And there's room in the kingdom mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Jesus for whatever you believe. It's backed up with scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, two things pertaining to this in our church. First of all, I function right now, yes, as the office manager in an administrative role. I also functioned for several years in Matt's role as a youth ministry director. And I will say that never once in this church have I ever felt like a second-class citizen or a second-class leader because I was a woman. So you can rest assured that Jeff says, he means what he says in terms of, it's not this male-dominated organization. Like, there are women... In the staff meetings, there are, we're heard, don't worry. <laughs> Super heard. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and I would challenge, I would challenge you women that if this is an issue that's near and dear to your heart as it is to mine, um, don't let your personal agenda, your personal feelings get in the way of the kingdom work that we are doing here in Dixon. Mm. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. That anything that I believe, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anything that I believe is great. And if God has, you know, imparted upon my heart, however I feel about this issue, that's great. And I can share that, but I would never ever put my agenda in a position that would disrupt this body of believers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unity is key. Unity is important. If, if uh, you know, we can have differing opinions, but if anything damages the unity, then we're we're walking out our opinions in sin. And so, yeah, that's 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 true. So, uh, and again, further context: this are, or this debate comes from Scripture, specifically from the teachings of Paul, where he's describing certain things that are going on in churches that he's writing to, and saying, you know, at one point he says, you know, I, you know, I. I 
I say that, you know, that the women should remain silent, learn in silence, that sort of thing. Um, and, um, and then, and then other issues, you know, just that stem from his teaching. And so the question is, are his words, um, prescriptive? Is he prescribing that behavior for all churches or is, or his words descriptive of say a particular situation in a particular church? And so you can do more research into that on your own if you want to. Be careful what you read on the internet because it's full of wackadoos. Uh, but anyway, that, that's that's fine. All right, um, this is a good question that I'm not going to answer, and the reason is is because we answered it. I felt like really well in the last service, and there are um, um, too many other questions that I would love to get to in this service. So. We will post both services, the podcast for, to both services online, and you can go back and listen to it. But the question is, is it possible to be both homosexual and Christian? And it's a great question. Uh, the short answer is yes, and, uh, and, uh, but there's a lot that goes with that answer. Go listen to that. Uh, you know, sin is sin in God's eyes. God, you know, salvation is for all. Uh, it's not our job to change people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to change people. That, those, are the, those are the big points, okay? But going, and you can hear a more thorough, thoughtful answer in the first service podcast of today, which will be posted probably tomorrow, okay? So, good question. Um, all right, why do we need the Old Testament? Is it still relevant? Uh, Jesus came, and in the Sermon on the Mount, restates the commandments anyway. So, why, why is the Old Testament so important? You guys want to jump on that? Or you want me to? Or? I can if you guys want it. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> so chauvinistic. <laughs> so <right>. my <laughs> answer for this question, why do we need it? Um, I don't think we need it. I think the fundamental tenet of our faith is that Jesus came. He died for our sins. He rose again. And if you trust in him for your salvation, like that's it. That's all you need to know. I would say that the Old Testament is still valuable, absolutely. And it's valuable, one, because it points to Jesus, and two, because Jesus valued it. Jesus quoted it. Jesus used it. And so if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Okay. All right. All right. You got anything? Well, I always have some opinion on everything, so... Um, I think that the Old Testament uh, can teach you things, but I think that you got to be careful the way you approach the Old Testament because the Old Testament, you know, I would say read the New Testament first before you read the Old Testament because you can get very confused and you need to never take scripture in small chunks. That's a recipe for disaster. If you're going to Read the Bible. I know this is a big thing, but read the whole thing and then make opinions on what you think because you, it can lead to confusion. Yeah. So I'm going to disagree and say that I think the Old Testament is extremely important. Extremely important. Uh, and the reason I say that is I think that without the Old Testament, the New Testament makes very little sense. Um, now, when I say it's important, it's important for context. It's not as important, say, for living as the New Testament is. 
but it's extremely important for context. Um, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to, is to point out how desperately we need the New Testament, how desperately we need a Savior. And so it's this, this constant exercise of, of God calling Israel to be his faithful you know, people and, and then them failing in that and, and then the, you know, exiled from God and all, you know, it's just, it's just this thing that goes on all throughout the Old Testament. Amy, do you mind if I read the text that, that I responded to you the other day? Thank you. Um, Amy sent me a, a, a question um, uh, via text the other day about a passage that she was reading and, and uh, I'm trying to remember. So uh, her question was, well, actually, I don't need to read her question. I'll just read my response. Um, so she had a question about, you know, this particular passage she was reading in the book of Isaiah that, that left her feeling a little bit help, hopeless about almost like she needed to be perfect. And if she didn't, wasn't perfect, she wouldn't receive the blessings of God and, you know, whatever. And, and my response to that was this, is to keep in mind that while this was written for you, it was not written to you. That's so critical. So, so critical when you're reading the Old Testament. Well, it was written for you, for your benefit. It was not written to you. So I said he's prophesying about uh, the invasion of uh, the, the Babylonian invasion of Jer- into Jerusalem and then their exile to Babylon. Had Israel been faithful, they could have avoided all that. And I said, if you want some personal application, then yes, when we're faithful, we have greater peace with God. However, the exile of God's people ended with the coming of the Messiah and then the Holy Spirit. And so, again, just kind of illustrating that point that a lot, a lot while. The Old Testament is definitely there for our benefit, and it definitely sets the stage for why we need Jesus. Um, most of, I would say, most of our rule for living uh, can come from the teachings of Jesus and from the New Testament and that sort of thing. Um, and so then, then the question is, you know, which New Testament or which Old Testament passages are still are which Old Testament laws are still applicable to us today, which are, you know kind of buried in uh, culture and context, and we don't need them anymore. Which ones have, you know, did Jesus maybe give us a new law about? Or, and so you just kind of have to dive into the Word and, and read that for yourself. You can, you, this is what you can know. If the New Testament reinforces what the Old Testament say, then it, de- then it definitely still applies to us today. Uh, some of the other laws that are, you'll find in, say, Leviticus and other places like that where uh, they're very much entrenched in culture or uh, are very specific hygiene laws and things like that, uh, don't necessarily apply to us today. In fact, Paul spends a good amount of time in the New Testament dealing with that, saying, uh, you know, we don't need to make, you know, these Roman citizens uh, hold up all these laws of, say, like circumcision and things like that uh, because we, we're under a new covenant now. And so it's a mixed bag. It's not an easy answer. It's a mixed bag. So, you know, wherever the New Testament reinforces it. I, I'd say I, I'm growing more and more to love the Old Testament in terms of if if I'm reading it, this is what you need to do when you read the Bible. The entire Bible is about Jesus. You have to approach it like that. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The problem is, is that Jesus doesn't come in on the scene until like the very end of it, right? And you've got all this huge chunk of scriptures that are, you know, that are just over and over reinforcing how badly we need Jesus, how screwed up this world is and everything else. And then you get to the end, you know, Jesus comes in and is it's great. So um, anyway, that's my, that's my question. So I, I said I disagree. I, it's not that I disagree with what they said. I just think that 
it really is the, fa- and I think the New Testament treats it this way too. It's the foundation for the New Testament. So, yeah, yeah, good. Okay, um, let's see. Will we recognize our family or friends in heaven? Will we remember those not there? Mm, that's an interesting question. So, you guys keep thinking. I'm going to say, yes, you will recognize your friends and family in heaven. Um, and um, will you remember? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not God. But, um, but I, I think, the, you know, there is evidence to, make, to have us believe that when we get to heaven. I mean, the, um, the language of Hebrews chapter 11 where it says we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and that, and that, and that times, you know, like the transfiguration or is that right? Transfiguration. When, um, when Jesus is out with, uh, Peter, James and John and, and, and he's kind of, uh, he kind of crosses over into God's kingdom and with him is Moses and Elijah there. These are people that they knew and that they recognized and they were able to see, you know, kind of across the other side there. So, so yeah, I think, think we will be recognizable. Um, and so, yeah, I, as far as any further than that, that's the mystery that I'm comfortable with. So, One thing I would say on this is that um, it's tempting sometimes to have an opinion on everything, but uh, there are things in the bio, on the, there are th- topics that are not s- explicitly um, discussed. And so my answer to that question is simply, I don't know. I don't remember any scripture that speaks to that. And I don't want to have my, I don't want my opinion just to be mine. My opinion should be informed by scripture, not the other way around. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Okay. Uh, Next question. Where do dinosaurs fit in? (laughs) Where do dinosaurs fit in? All right. So. We may have differences of opinion on the panel, and, and that's okay. It's, 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 this, is, this is an issue that uh, has never been a primary issue in the history of the church, and we shouldn't let it become one now, okay? Uh, and so I'll tell you how I believe. I'll let these guys tell you how they believe. And if it's completely different, that's okay. It's totally okay, all right? So um, I am, I'm an old earth guy. I'm an evolutionary creation guy. And so I, you know, I, I look at what scientists tell us about the world and, and, um, and where time and, and much, much research has backed that up over and over and over and over again to give us the mountains of evidence that we have now. I'm comfortable embracing that and, uh, and, and, and being that old earth evolutionary creation. So when I say evolutionary creation, I mean, I believe personally, this is just Jeff's belief, I believe personally that that God used the evolutionary process to create the planet. Uh, now, the church is also full of young Earth people who believe that the church is—I mean—that the the world is, uh, you know, only uh, you know, say six to ten thousand, six to twelve thousand years old, and uh, uh, you know, and, and read say those opening chapters of Genesis as kind of literal historical fact, um, and and that's perfectly fine if they see it that way. It's perfectly. I mean, I used to be on that camp several years ago, and 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 I think it's perfectly fine if you see it that way. Um, I don't. I, I don't think it needs to be an either or, and I don't think that 
if, you know, because there's some who say if you take out, you know, if you don't believe in a literal six-day creation, then the entire faith just kind of falls like a house of cards. And I don't, I don't think that's true. My faith is in God, uh, not in what we see from science or how we interpret one chapter of the Bible or whatever. Um, and so that's kind of where I stand. So it, to answer the question, where do si- dinosaurs fit in? I would say they fit in exactly where science says they fit in. Um, and now that opens up a lot of other questions that we don't have a, necessarily have a lot of time to get into, but there's great stuff out there. If you want to read more about or, or even watch videos more about that particular point of view, I would suggest to you biologos.com, biologos, bio meaning life, logos meaning word, biologos.com. It is full of um, uh, strong, believing, evangelical Christians who are also a part of the scientific community and, and really interesting there. So um, that's where I personally stand. If you guys disagree, feel, feel free to disagree. I don't disagree. This is one of those issues that I've come to kind of not care, for lack of a better term, that whether he did it in seven days or whether he did it with evolution, I believe that God created the world. I would like to explain uh, one of the seven-day creation theories that is, it, I'm like, okay, that makes sense to me that I learned a long time ago. And Genesis 1, 6 says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under from the waters that were above. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky. So in Genesis 1, we have a description of waters below, sky, and water. And so some seven-day creationists would say that in the beginning, there was a basically cloud water canopy that covered the earth. And this is why people lived super long. We have, you know, accounts in the Bible of people living hundreds of years. And one of the tricky, cool, awesome things about, like, lizards is that they grow for as long as they live. Which means if you had lizards living, you know, four to ten times as long as they normally do, those would be giant lizards walking all around the earth. And dinosaur means terrible lizard. And so, again, I'm not saying that that is or isn't true. I just wanted to, for those of you who are seven-day creationists and maybe had that thought, that question too, that is one theory is that, and then that also would help explain the flood, which is, you know, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, how did that happen? Well, if the world was covered in water canopy, that's all. That's the end. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, my opinion is that dinosaurs are super cool. (laughs) (laughs) They are. They're super cool. I think they're irrelevant. So I'm going to tell you about my theories on evolution instead. Um, I came to God by studying evolution. Uh, we had to, you know, when I was in college, they made me study it and study it and study it and study it. And so, of course, I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And uh, I came to believe that it's nonsense. Um, I don't believe it. I don't believe in natural, uh, well, I kind of believe in natural selection, that aspect of evolution. But most of it, I do not believe. And uh, that was approaching it scientifically. That was before I was a Christian. I came to that conclusion. And then I had to look for other theories of God, of creation, besides evolution, because they make it seem like that's the only option. But there are other options. So I looked at all those, and I came to believe in God. Um, Good. That's it. Good. All right. 
let me throw it, let me throw it, and see, I have no problem with James believing the way he believes, and, and, and I, cause I, I think that's perfectly fine. And you come to your own conclusions about that. What I would encourage you to do is not be dogmatic in your conclusions because, and this is critical, this I think is really critical, there are, uh, generations of people who are walking away from the faith because they feel like they have to choose between God and what they believe about science. And that's not fair. It's not fair. And, and so I, I would say, um, teach your kids what you want to teach them about this topic. But if they come to a different conclusion than you on this topic, hold that with an open hand. Like I said, this has never been a primary doctrine issue in the church, and we don't have to make it one now. And let them, let them explore that the way they want to explore it and, 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 and so that they feel like they can still, even if, they, even if you know, their idea about the, you know, the creation of this universe differs from yours, um, they feel like they can still hold on to their faith and, dis, and disagree with you on that as well. I think that's really critical. Uh, let me, before we move on, let me read this. I wrote this on Facebook the other, yesterday, yesterday being the March for Science Day. And I just said this. I said, today I thank God for his amazing universe and, the, and for the scientists who help us understand how it works. I also apologize to the scientific community for the behaviors of churches and Christians who have been far too prideful in this area. I said, Christ followers, we know and believe that God has revealed himself to us through Scripture. But we often forget that the Apostle Paul teaches us in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself to us through a second book, the book of nature. And we need to be intent on studying both. While we lean on great theological minds to help us understand uh, the one, we should be thankful for the great scientific minds who help us understand the other. And we have nothing to fear from science. For the Christ follower, the most powerful microscope reveals God's fingerprints, and the most powerful telescope increases God's glory. If you worry that scientific discovery is a danger to your faith, then I suggest that your faith is built on a house of cards, and you've likely placed your faith in something other than God. Uh, you would do well to ask yourself what that might be. Scientific discoveries can't change God. They might change how we read scriptures, but this is nothing new. For centuries, the church has had to dive deeper into the meaning of scripture because of scientific discovery. And this has been and continues to be a blessing and a gift to the church because it causes us to realize that the simplest reading is not always the best reading. And that often when you dive into the context, culture, and history surrounding the text, our understanding of that text is vastly improved. So today I challenge Christ followers to get to know God's creation as well as you know his word. Read science texts and watch science documentaries. Let science increase your wonder and disturb your dogma. Dig deep for the answers to the questions that shines a light on. Occasionally venture out of your black and white existence and learn to enjoy the mysteries of God and his universe. Honor the hard work of scientists. Don't disrespect their efforts by assuming you know more about science because you've read the Bible. God gave us scripture to help us know him and to help, uh, and to help us know our reason for existence. He did not give us the Bible to help us know the inner workings of our universe. For that, he gave us a brain. And so that was my comment. And you agree or disagree, I don't care. But I just feel like I want us to be, I think there's a way that we can have conversations around this without demonizing each other. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the healthy way. All right. And I agree as well. But something to uh, consider too is that science... You know, when I was in school, I was taught that science is more credible. And so uh, I spent a lot of life, my life studying things. And then when I studied it even deeper, I realized that scientists change their minds about things all the time. All the time, they figure things out, and they reassess, and they figure things out, and they reassess, and they figure things out. And the same thing with history. When you look at history, historians figure stuff out. They reassess. They figure stuff out. They reassess. 
truth is a uh, difficult thing to grasp. So That's you true. should listen to everything and keep an open mind to everything. And don't lift science up to the point where it becomes God. I agree. I agree. And I would say, too, that just as there is good and bad theology, there's also good and bad science. And, and so, I mean, there, you guys know as well as I do, a lot of science is funded by corporations with agendas. And, and you know, so you have to be able to, I think, look over a very long period of time of scientific evidence and see what has held up and what hasn't, you know, that sort of thing. So, anyway, good, good conversation. All right, here's an interesting one. My son is Seventh-day Adventist, and I'm so glad he has found Jesus, and I'm satisfied, satisfied by that. However, he has a problem with us worshiping on Sunday and has become vocally judgmental against us. Any suggestions on how to react to that? Um, yeah, I would just say, um, then don't worship on Sunday. <laughs> like, like I, I, yeah, I, I think, I mean, and this is, the question really gets down to how do you approach people who, like, um, so strongly, vehemently, uh, disagree with you on theological issues that they almost make you an enemy, even though you're worshiping the same Savior, right? And um, and I would just say don't don't dive in to those arguments because you know they just they're not helpful. They're just not helpful. Go ahead and share your opinion, share scriptural evidence to back up what you say. Uh, which, by the way, Scripture tells us that the church started working on started worshiping on Sunday. It's right there in Scripture. Um, we don't care if anybody wants to worship on Saturday. That's perfectly fine too. Do, do it both. I don't care. But um, it shouldn't be a shouldn't be a prime issue. And, and so don't let yourself be dragged into an argument where it is. So. My personal opinion should be worshiping God seven days a week. Yeah. So I don't really right. I don't think you should be uh, drawing a line in the sand on that. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, I think that if you ever do have something that you're so adamant. That like a church is disagrees, you disagree with something so so adamantly that you would want to argue and fight and, and get angry about it. You, you might want to find another church because that's not what church is about. Uh, church is, you know, that, yeah, you got to find a new church if that's, if something bothers you that much. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, church, church is your church family. We're here to support each other and love each other and everything. But your walk with Christ that's a big deal. And so if you are going to uh, get all upset about the sermons or whatever, or worshiping on Sunday or Saturday or Wednesday, then you should find something that, that fits you, that, that will help you come closer to God. That's good. Thank you for that. All right. Uh, we only have time for one more question. So there's a bunch I didn't get to, and I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Amy will answer them for you later this week. <laughs> All right, let's do, let's do this one. It says, my best friend's husband just died of a heart attack at 37 years old. And they have a 15 and 13-year-old boys and have been together for 23 years. Two questions. Uh, why does God do these things? And what do I say to her and her boys about their faith right now? It's all you, Jesse. All right. Well... Without making light of the situation, because this is a very sad, awful, heartbreaking situation, unfortunately, right now, death is a part of life. Mm. It's sad. It's hard. There's, and there's no way around it. Um, 
I would say that you see in scripture and then I see in my own life and in the lives of all the believers around me that sometimes difficult situations prove to grow our faith the most. It's when you are desperate and clinging to God that you really, really discover who he is. And that's not a happy answer. And anybody who's experienced tragedy in their own lives, it's one of those things where you would never wish that on someone else. You would never, I never want someone else to have to go through the pain of losing a spouse, losing a child, you know, those kind of close losses. But we come out stronger sometimes. We trust God more sometimes at the end of it. I would just say that uh, God, if you look in the scripture, God never intended death for any of us. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't, I'm not God, so I can't look at why he does what he does or, or what he allows and what he doesn't allow. I can't get into that. But I can get into this, that he never intended for us to be miserable and sinning and death and things like that. But, you know, in Scripture, it starts, it's, it started with Adam and Eve, and it was brought in the world, and this is the way it is, and he's going to fix it someday. That's the, the highlight, you know. He's going to fix it, and we're all not going to have to worry about death or sin or anything someday. Yeah. Um, I'll just add to that and just say that to answer the questions, why does God do these things? Um, death happens to all of us. God's not picking on you or anybody else when you die or get sick or when someone you love dies and gets sick. It's, it's part, this is the life we all live. It happens to those who love Jesus, and it happens to those who don't. It's part of this life. And, and, but our emotions are so kind of tied to those people that we love um, that it does. Death feels like an attack. It feels like a very, when it happens close to you, it feels like a very personal attack. And, uh, and you just need to know that, as James said, this is not God's will. God's will is life. And, and, uh, and he's got a plan to restore everything back to that, that plan that's in process now. God's, will, God's plan is resurrection. And, um, and so it's not God doing something to you. It's just part of life. And what you find in the dark times, is, as Jesse was saying, is that, God is there. He's there with you. Um, the second question, what do I say to her and her boys about their faith now? Um, I would say, don't feel like you have to say anything. Well, I think a lot of times as Christians, we want, to, we want to provide easy answers to people who are going through really hard times. And, and maybe what they need most is not an easy answer. Maybe they just need you. Maybe they just need you to be there. And if questions come up, you do your best you know, to answer them, uh, but don't feel like you have to say anything. Um, I think it's pretty na- you know, when you When something so close, like the death of a spouse or the death of a child, hits your life, I think a pretty natural reaction is, um, is anger, even doubt. Um, that's, that's a pretty natural reaction. Um, and so, but it's also, I think, part of the grieving process. 
And I think most people who go through that process on the other side of it go, you know, looking back, I see how God was with me through all of this. And I'm sure that, you know, there are some who will abandon their faith through, through things like this. Um, but, yeah, I would just say don't feel like, but watch, I'll tell you what not to say. Don't tell them this was all part of God's plan. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. Life is what's part of God's plan, okay? Um, you know, don't, don't try to, uh, don't tell them God needed another angel, like, really? God's so stingy, he needs one more angel, and so he took mine? Really? So, like, like don't tell him that. We're not, we're not going to be turned into angels anyway. That's just bad theology. Don't tell him that. Uh, I, know, I know some of you like thinking about angels and stuff, but um, just don't. Um, just, just be there for them. Answer their questions. You know, I've, I've, I've walked through this process with so many families. I've had people ask me, you know, especially about somebody who they didn't think was a believer, you know, where are they now? Are they they in heaven? Are they in hell? What's going on there? You know, like I can't judge that. Only God can judge that, right? Like I'm not the judge of man. I I don't have the keys to let people into heaven or hell. That's not, that's not what I've got. That's above my pay grade. But you know what I've learned to tell them is this, is I'll say, you know, I don't know. And I'll tell them exactly what I just said to you that I, I can't judge that. So, but this is what I do know. We serve an incredibly loving, gracious God who desires for all people to come to him. And that person that you love, they could not be in better hands right now. It's God's, it's, it's between them and God. I, I can't speak to that. But they're in the hands of a very loving, gracious God who has gone above and beyond to make sure to provide a way for them. So trust it to God and uh, just let it be what it is. So tough. Those are those are tough situations to walk through with people and, and to know what to say and and like I said, don't feel a pressure to say anything. Just be present. People want to know that you care and that you're present for them and that you're actually a friend to them. And um, just do your best. All right? All right. Thank you guys for your questions today. Really, really great questions. I wish we had time to get to all of them, but um, it's lunchtime. My stomach's growling. So um, so let's pray. Let's wrap it up. I just want to thank James and, and Jesse for helping me out this morning. They did a great job. And um, that's good. That's good. James, would you close us in prayer today? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, and thank you for your word. <coughs> and I just pray that this uh, helps uh, people here in the, the day to understand you better, because you inform, you educate, you are everything. And I, uh, I just pray, pray for clarity. I hope this helped today. And. Uh, I just pray for your blessing upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.